So what I'm going to do tonight with this uh, fading lighting, and because we have two chapters, but they, they are a little shorter than, for example, the leprosy chapters, I'm going to go ahead and read chapters 21 and 22 right now together while we still have pretty good light. And then that way, as I expound on them, the light won't be as crucial for reading together. Okay, so it'll be about, you know, five or six minutes of reading, but we'll, we'll get through it and then we'll teach it more in a topical manner. It'll be easier for us tonight. So as we pick it up in chapter 21, we come to the regulations that involve the priest. And this is very important because we've been talking about the Levitical law. The law of God in Leviticus is the expansion of the moral, civil, and religious. And for the priest, there's very important things because they represent the Lord to the people and they do the sacrifices. So let me read all this and then we'll get into it. So chapter 21 starts this way. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priest, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, none shall defile himself for the dead among his people except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother. Also his virgin sister is near to him who has had no husband. For, he, for her he may defile himself. Otherwise he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people to profane himself. They shall not make any bald place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. They shall be holy to the Lord their God and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the offering of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or prostitute or a defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. Therefore, you shall consecrate him, for he offers the bread to your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord who sanctifies you, am holy. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot or prostitute, she profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. He who is the high priest among his brethren, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, and is consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes, nor shall he go near any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother, nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity." A widow or divorced woman or defiled woman or a harlot, these he shall not marry. But he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife. Nor shall he profane his posterity among his people, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach, a man blind or lame, who has a marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or broken hand, or is a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scab or a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest, so we're talking about the high priest here, who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and holy, only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect. Lest he profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord. 
Say to them, whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things, which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he is uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. Whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or dead body or a man who has an emission of semen or whoever touches any creepy thing by which he would be made unclean or any person by whom he would become unclean, whatever is unclean may be, the person who has touched any such thing be unclean until evening and shall not eat holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. And when the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And afterward, he may eat the holy offerings because it is his food. Whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself with it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my ordinances, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby. If they profane it, I, the Lord, sanctify them. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it and who is born of his house may eat his food. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house, as in her youth, she may eat her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it. And if a man eats the holy offering unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it, 20%. They shall not profane the holy offering of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord or allow them to bear the guilt of their trespass when they eat their holy offering. For I, the Lord, sanctify them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or the stranger in Israel who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his free will offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow, or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind, broken, maimed, or have an ulcer, eczema, or scab, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire them on the altar of the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offerings of them in your land. Nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as bread of your God, because their corruption is in them and defection in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When a bull or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall be seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day and thereafter it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Whether it is a cow or a ewe, do not kill both her and her young on the same day. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. On the same day, it shall be eaten. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. Therefore, you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So these two chapters deal specifically with the priest. In fact, when you get to chapter 23, it shifts to the feast. So these are two absolute chapters dedicated to further understanding and expansion of 
the responsibilities of the Levite priest in serving God, representing God before the people, and interceding between God, God and the people in the religious structure and system that God set up for the 1,500 years we know as the Mosaic Covenant. Remember, they had to be from the tribe of Levi, and in the case of the high priest, they had to be a direct descendant of Aaron, and we'll get to that in a moment. So as we come back to chapter 21, and we pick it up and go forward, the first four verses emphasize about not defiling yourself as a priest for the dead body of an immediate, of an extended family member, but except the nearest of kin. So mother, father, son, daughter, virgin, sister. Otherwise, you can't do it. So this was very clear, specific. And again, when someone passes away, there's such a grieving and a bereavement, and you older people know this, and there's just so much that goes on when someone passes. Recently, our son Luke lost his best friend uh, at a very young age. He died a tragic death. He was hit by a train, and it was just a tragedy. And Luke and his family and his kids all flew to the memorial in Houston to be with the family. And it was his best friend from college. It was the godfather of uh, our granddaughter, uh, Clementine. It was really sad. It was a very sad experience. And it's still not even six weeks, seven weeks out since it happened. And you just, when you think of the rawness of losing loved ones or the tragedy of death, there's a lot of emotion that goes with that. And it's a, it's a very volatile emotion, as you know. You can be laughing and crying in the same night. You go into shock. All these things happen. And it's difficult. But it's important for the priests, because they're priests, and because they represent the Lord. In all that they did, they're really representing Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's going to do on the cross. And even though Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, make no mistake that all that the priests did, the Levites, still was representing all that Jesus would come and do with his perfect sinless life and what he would accomplish on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel message. So they have a huge responsibility. They're not just the people of the Lord like Naphtali or Asher or the tribe of Gad or, or Judah or even Benjamin. As the Levites, they're set apart in a very special way to serve the Lord in a unique covenant within a covenant where they represent Jesus God's holiness to the people, and they intercede and mediate for the people through all that they do. And that's important to understand. So even as they're serving the Lord in a shadow of things to come, where if you'd be in the priesthood and you got news that your mother passed away or your brother or your sister, then that was permitted while you're within the priesthood duties. But if it was extended family, like your first cousin, it, it wasn't. So... There is a distinction between the immediate family, vertically, parents, horizontally, siblings, and then it would be your children, of course, as well. So it's just, it's interesting to me how God has the empathy element for immediate family, but there has to be some point of a standard like, well, you can't just walk away from your priesthood duties because your second cousin in Nevada had this accident. You have to fulfill your duties because unlike the other 11 tribes, they can go. You can't because you represent Jesus Christ. And to whom much is given, much is required. It's kind of like being a Navy SEAL. If you're a Navy SEAL, you can't say where you've been, what you're doing, or where you're going. There's just a greater responsibility in what you're doing. Now, if you're in the Marine Corps and you're the 1st Marine Division and you get rolled out, you can generally tell your wife and family we're being deployed, we're headed somewhere, and you would know that. But if you're a Navy SEAL, it's a different thing. You have to stay on point and you have to fulfill the task and the job.
And that's what we have here with this. Then we saw in verses 5 through 9, the first part being they can't, they can't you know, give themselves a fry or tuck haircut or something, you know, like a mohawk or, I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but uh, they can't do that. They can't do weird things with their facial stuff. Now, we know based upon archaeological stuff that some of the pagan religions did stuff like that. And that's most likely the context. But, you know, I mean, it could be an element there that it's not about you. It's just, you, you, it's not about you. It's about the Lord and just doing what's right and not about drawing attention to yourself. I have to consider that in, in the element. And I think of that for myself as a pastor, not being loud with how we are, our presence. It needs to be about the Lord because he says, they shall be holy. So there's no weird cuttings to your beard or your flesh because you're holy. Because you represent the Lord. Jesus didn't walk around with a friar, tucker, or a mohawk. They represent the Lord. For 1,500 years, every Levite represented the Lord in a higher capacity than just the people of faith who are in covenant with God. And then this other verse, I'm sure they got all of your attention, about the daughter who's a prostitute, that, that she's to be burned with fire. This is interesting because in a similar situation, but not the daughter of the priest, but of anyone else in Israel, and the perpetrator of the man, they're to suffer capital punishment by uh, strangulation. But in this case, it's by fire. So this is so heavy that we have to talk about this for a minute. First of all, contextually, understand this. This would never apply currently. And why wouldn't it apply? Because we're not under the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was replaced by Jesus on the cross when he said it is finished. So everything that the priest ever did by going to the holiest of holies, or taking care of the showbread, Jesus is the bread of life, taking care of the lampstand, I am the light of the world, you know, the, the incense, the veil, going in the veil, the veil speaks of his flesh, we're told. Everything in the Ark of the Covenant speaks of the Lord, Jesus fulfills the law. Everything the priest did, Jesus fulfilled when he said it is finished. So I remember our former president, Barack Obama, mocking this book, the law of God, saying that, that Christians are overboard in thinking that the Bible could be applied to modern society and influence society because of passages like this in the dietary law. And I would refute that because this is now my high ground, and I hold the high ground because it's the word of God, and I'm a minister of God's word, and I can reprove the man. And I'll tell you where he was wrong in his thinking, because he would take a verse like this and say, so are we going to burn harlots in the streets of Atlanta or Memphis or Los Angeles? Of course not. But you see, where he's wrong and where he twisted the scriptures to attack church and its influence on society is that somehow he would think this would be applied in modern society. It would not. So look at me closely, body of Christ, right now. This part of the law was unique to a 1,500-year period when these priests represented Jesus Christ and his holiness in everything they did, and they had a higher standard, and their daughters had a higher standard. And whereas there's a lot of reasons why women can fall into prostitution, and some of them are very understanding and empathetic as we understanding what's going on in our own society right now, and the attack on children, and even ridiculous, horrible laws passed yesterday in our assembly. So that's not what we're talking about here, because there are things where people are violated, and it sets them up in certain ways. We understand that. But if you're going up in the house of a priest, in a, in a sanctified house, in a holy house, you don't have an excuse for that. That's, that's not... All things that could set you in a disposition to be a harlot, 
They don't exist in the house of a priest. You're going up in a house with blessings, the blessings of the Lord, and they're there for you. And you do have a higher standard, even as if you're the daughter of a president or a governor or a senator, you would have a higher standard. More would be expected of you. We talk about pastor's kids or missionary kids when people expect from them. We understand these principles, but in this context, this is limited to the priesthood of the Levites, and this is no longer in effect. So this has no bearing on modern society. It would not be implemented in modern society because it's canceled out by Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And that woman who's the daughter of a priest who becomes a harlot and defiles herself and then defiles the name of her father and his ministry and stumbles his ministry, disgraces and dishonors Jesus Christ and his holiness in his perfect sinless life. That's what it did, and that's why she's burned at the stake, because it disgraces and dishonors Jesus Christ and his holiness and his perfect life that allows him to be a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And if you want to really know the heart of God for a prostitute, all you need to do is look at Jesus in the Gospel of Luke when the prostitute came to him and wept at his feet. And he forgave her, he loved on her, and he commended her. As opposed to the religious leaders who condemned her and said, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is and would not accept her praise. So let's properly handle the scriptures on this passage, and let's not men who think they're really smart and devoid of the knowledge of God twist the scriptures to stumble us and discredit our influence on society as salt and light. Amen? Jesus is for the prostitute. He wants to give her the true love that she's never known or has been broken by having previously known. Jesus is not defiled by the prostitute. Jesus cleanses and heals and delivers the prostitute. But make no mistake, a daughter of a priest whose primary purpose in life is to represent Christ in a foreshadow of his life, that's the way it is. And this is one of those passages that is difficult. But let me say this. Let God be God and let us be us. And it's not the difficult passages that give us trouble. It's the one that say, forgive, don't lie, don't lust, don't cheat, don't steal. So let's not deceive ourselves. And by the way, for all those people, because there's a lot of them who hate God, who would want to use this verse against God, all I'd say to them is, good luck on the day of the Lord. Good luck that if you want to use a verse like this to stand before Jesus as an excuse for loving darkness and rejecting the light. But you won't need good luck. Because as I live, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And this verse is a test to trust in the Lord and know that his plans are good. And I say that from my heart because it's a hard verse to read. When you read it's like, wow, I got to do extra work on this one. But if you just think it through, the heart of it and the necessity of it. And what God has for a Levite daughter for 1,500 years, that's his business. What he has for you and me, that's my business. That's your business. Amen? Yeah. All right. So then it says that if the priest has the anointing oil, 
He can't just walk, you know, he just can't. Again, it's a higher standard. His wife has to come from a pure background. The, the guys from Gad, Asher, Manasseh, half-tribe of Ephraim, they can marry the woman that's divorced. They can marry the, the harlot. They can marry these women. The Levites can't because they represent Jesus. That's why. Now, we read on. Then it says that no one with a defect, a physical defect, verse 17 or 16, the Lord speaks on, that your descendants for the high priesthood. So you can't be the high priest. And if you're just born this way and it happened this way, you know, the Lord's allowed it. And it's just not for you. There's things that just aren't for you. If you're 5'7", you're probably not going to play basketball in the NBA, right? But if you're seven foot, you're probably not going to win the Pipe Masters either. So there's just some things are for you. We all have different gifts and different callings. And God has set us up for different things in different ways in our lifetime with our purposes. And what is interesting in this element of the high priest that is descendants, if they have major defects, because, of course, again, they represent the Lord, especially the high priest. So you just, there are effects of sin. There are direct effects of sin in our own life. But we know the direct effect of sin is deformities and various things that go wrong. Everything goes wrong in our body. Like if you have different diseases or conditions, Adam and Eve did not have anything wrong with their bodies when they were sinless. They were perfect bodies. They were beautiful and handsome and perfect. They were supercomputers in their minds. There was, to the pure, all things are pure, and they were pure. And once sin entered the world, defects entered the world. And thus we have defects. And thus we have the effects of genetic mutations and things that go wrong in the animal kingdom and in the human bodies that things go wrong even in the universe because God even says the whole universe is groaning for the redemption of the entire universe for Jesus Christ to come and establish the kingdom with the new heaven and the new earth. So it's not that, again, if you're a dwarf or blind or have an extra limb that's a different way, if you're Gad or Naphtali, it doesn't prevent you from working in the field or in the vineyard or in grandpa's, you know, fruit grove, fruit tree grove with the apricots or something. But it does prevent you from being the high priest and going in to do this because those are obvious defects. Although Aaron had defects, Eliezer had defects, and Phineas, his grandson, had defects as high priest, they're not the obvious blemish defects. And if God, even if we couldn't understand it, which we can, because we can understand this, this is understandable. But if we couldn't, you just have to say, well, that's, it's God's universe. Like he says, will the thing say the thing deformed it? What are you doing? Of course not. He's the potter, we're the clay. And God is love, and everything he does is good, and it's perfectly true, just, noble, praiseworthy, and honorable. So if that's the way it's there, it just shows us how special Jesus really is. And it shows us how much he loves humanity, too. Because, of course, what did Jesus do most of his ministry? He healed the blind, the lame, and all the people that had these infirmities. So that's the heart of God. He that has seen me has seen the Father. And I do the works of the Father, and my works always please the Father. And by the way, did you catch this? If you have these type of deformities, which are hard enough in life to go through life this way, hey, guess what? If you're a descendant of Aaron, you still get to eat the holy bread. Did you catch that? When we read it, you still get to eat the holy bread. So it's like, you get the holy bread, it's just like, you know what? It's a tough break, but you get to eat the holy bread. And it's, it's not, 
We should never focus on what we can't do with the Lord. We should really be focused on what we can do with the Lord. And we shouldn't focus on what he's not called us to do. We should focus on what he has called us to do. When I, when I listen to certain people that are really smart and sharp on their feet talk, where they're super wise, like a Charlie Kirk or a Ben Shapiro, and I listen to those guys like, gosh, how come I can't be that smart? Whenever I'm in something that gets heated up, I, I start hyperventilating. These guys just don't even blink. Luke's, Luke's like those guys. Our son Luke, he's like... Like, when Luke and I would go at it, he'd always win because I'd get flustered, you know? And I'd get, like, a basketball game, I'd get teed up, you know? But Luke would just stay calm, and he would just, like, he'd just sit there and just keep eating his lunch and just destroy me in an, in an intellectual argument. But I'm not called to be Charlie Kirk. I'm called to be Joey Moran. I'm called to be the pastor of worship generation and be a voice in the Calvary Chapel movement, the evangelical church. And use my prophetic gifts to build up and encourage people with a future and a hope until the trumpet sounds. So that's what I need to do, right? So uh, what do you need to do? We should never look in the mirror and say, I can't do this, I can't do that. What we really need to say is, if I got one mina, I'm going to double it up and get two. Don't look at someone got two and they got four or five got ten. You just say, you know what, if a mina is all I got, I'm going to let it rip. And I'm going to be super fruitful with one mina. No one's going to ever get done with one mina what I get done in Jesus' name with one mina. Because I'm all in, right? That's how we want to be. And by the way, we all get to eat the holy bread in Aaron's house. You know, it's like, yeah, go to work, Pop. You know, big brother, go get him, bro. (laughs) Hey, don't forget to bring home two loaves. You know, whatever. Like, it's the real deal. It's the human experience. And then in chapter 22, as we read in chapter 22, it's the touching of things that make you unclean. And they are things that make you unclean. It's like, ugh, unclean. Just when you read chapter 22, verses 1 through 16, it's like, ugh. It's like, ugh, it's just all unclean. But we're unclean. And, and if you're in the medical field, you've done nursing or, or, or again, elderly care, it's just like it's not, it's not a pretty ending, like, we're unclean, and it's very humbling and difficult. And Isaiah said it best, the glory of man is the grass of the fields. It grows, it withers, and it fades away. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard getting older. You know, when you're young people, it's kind of funny because you're all young and beautiful and strong and smart and everything's going your way. But when you get older, it's kind of funny because when you get older, like you get like 50, 60, then you kind of look at your peer group and you're like, well, you know. The peer group you know from school, it's like, well, hey, they look pretty good. Like, man, what happened to them, right? You, you don't think that out loud, but you do think that, okay? Like, wow. <laughs> Especially like in social media, you can look at almost anywhere like, wow, really? Whoa. You know, like, like, hey, wow, they did really well, you know? And then like when you're online or something, it'll be like, hey, how did they age? So fami- 50 famous stars from the 70s, like from Happy Days or those type of shows. You're like, oh, I got to just see how they look because you're doing a comparative. You, we're, we're breaking down. We're breaking down. And sooner or later, I've said this before, you can be 70 and make yourself look 50, and you might even be 80 and make yourself look 60. But pretty much when you hit 90, you're looking 90. I mean, there's only so much you can do against entropy, and eventually it catches up with you. So in all the humbling that happens down the stretch, defiled by this that comes out of you, defiled by that which you touch, Just praise the Lord that Jesus cleanses us from our sins and all of unrighteousness and whatever we're going to face that might be humbling people taking care of us, changing us, dressing us in a bed when we can't get out of a bed. Because I don't know how the journey is going to end for us, but I have noticed this, and I've been saying this a lot lately because I'm very much involved in elderly care. 
I have two 90-year-olds that we pretty much are very much involved in helping with. It's just, it's just, it all breaks down. And you got to have a sense of humor as it's breaking down. And you certainly, above all else, want to have faith in the Lord that as you're going to be, this outward man is perishing, the inward woman, the inward man's being renewed. And that's how we have to be. We have to realize that all these defiling things are giving way to a new glorious body. I also liked in these verses where it said that if someone, so if the priest hired someone, because it says like if they own someone, it's basically they hired them like an employee, then they can eat the food. If the daughter comes back home under those certain circumstances, she can eat the food. But if the man eats the holy food unintentionally, it's like, can you imagine if you ate the showbread by accident, you didn't know it? Like, you almost got to chuckle. This one's like, like you're hanging out at your, your buddy's house, and he's a Levite, and, you know, you're, you're from Naphtali, like, and you just, you know, you, you just kind of helped yourself. He's like, so dude, it's the holy bread. You're like, no! Like, you'd just be like, ah! Like, if you just picture this, like, so if you, like, who eats the showbread unintentionally? Well, it could happen. So what happens if you eat the showbread? Like, bro, you got to die! You know, you're like, no. It's like, it's okay, just joking. It's a Levite joke. So what you got to do is, you got to make restitution with a 20% return. It's okay, man. I'll help you out. Like, isn't God good? Isn't God merciful? Because aren't there a lot of things we do unintentionally that are really stupid? Like, there are things we do unintentionally. Like, I get frustrated with the mistakes I make in life and my failures and my sins and my shortcomings. But I can honestly say, it's not like I wake up in the morning going like, oh, I can't wait to train wreck my day. I can't wait to say something that upsets my wife or that provokes my son. Like, I don't wake up and think that. And I don't think you do either because you're here in the dark for a Bible study on Tuesday night. I don't think you think that way. Like, I wake up sincerely. I read my little devotional from Institute for Christian Research. I read my Bible, 1 John right now. And I'm sincere. When I'm praying, I'm sincere. I want to do the right things. I want to have a good day. I don't want to get mad at someone here or there or whatever. I don't want to get agitated because suddenly I'm wearing a mask and it's itching and I'm now I'm frustrated with the people at the bank. I don't want to be that person and neither do you. But we do have things happen unintentionally. And our restitution isn't 20% return on top of that with a 20% penalty. Our restitution is being humbled by it, learning from it, repenting from it, and asking the Lord to forgive us and cleanse us and to go forward and try to recognize that situation in the future. And I'm getting better. And I hope you're getting better, too. I don't know why when all of our kids together, I always want to say something that's going to just about what's going on in the world right now. And it's like, it's the wrong time. It's like Winnie the Pooh time. It's like fun time. Don't bring up end of the world stuff. But inevitably, something comes up on my frequency, and I just want to, like, go there. Right? And so now I'm just like, when all the kids are like, I wake up in the morning, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. And like they're coming over with all the guys. It's like, don't go there. Don't go there. And then that word comes by and you want to latch onto it. Don't go there. You know, mask, governor, anything. It's all out there. And I'm just like, don't go there. Unicorns and rainbows and four-leaf clovers and lucky charms and Twinkies and hostess ho-hos. And surfing when you love to surf. And there's before you had leashes on your surfboards, everything was happy. Happy songs from the 70s. Happy. Right? We got to learn. So the things we do unintentionally, almost everything we do wrong is unintentionally, hopefully. And if you're plotting to do something wrong, recognize that and stop it. We've talked about that in the past. 
where you think through in your mind for two hours, like maybe you just do two minutes. I'm like, no, perfect plan how to get back at these people. I mean, the perfect plan. And you're like, well, in the end, I wouldn't want to do that to someone. And I want, to, I want these people to get saved. So why am I going to try and like freak them out with some sinister plot to get back at them? You're like, well, that was a waste of two hours in the middle of the night. But like I told you, one time I heard Pastor Chuck study from eight, 40 years ago. He said, he talked about how he could stew at night how to get back at people. I was like, no kidding. Wow. So if it's tempted to be intentional, something wrong, catch it and give it to the Lord. And if it's something unintentional, like eating the showbread when you shouldn't, recognize it and make it right with the Lord. Right? That's what we need to do. That's why Jesus died on the cross, so we could make it right. So praise the Lord for that. Now, in chapter, verses 17 through 25 of chapter 22 was uh, the offering. So it talked about the free will offering. Certain offerings had to have a perfect offering, the perfect sheep, the perfect goat, the cow, all that stuff. That it had certain ones of the offerings had to be perfect. So the peace offering and the free will offering it must be perfect to be accepted, verse 21 said of chapter 22. But the ones that are blind and broken, maimed, you shall not offer, but they may be offered as a free will offering. I thought that was interesting. To me, I've never noticed that before in going through Leviticus. So it's like, you know, like whatever you got, I guess is what you got. And if that's what you can give, I guess that's what you want to give, whatever, you know, I guess that's what the Lord's teaching there. It's interesting what's of value to some people, not of value to other people. You ever notice that? When my sister was on the streets for five years plus, a couple times at my mom's house, she left something for me, like a little treasure, like a street person treasure. And it was kind of random, but I've always collected stamps. So she would leave me like a bag. So it'd be like a sunglass case with no sunglass in it, like the kind that are flexible. And it would be stuffed with stamps. So it'd be like current stamps, uh, supermarket stamps or something. Just just really just, or like, uh, you know, when Humane Society sends you something, you give them money and they send you like things you put on your envelope, like, you know, have a great day with a happy dog stamp that you could put on your envelope, something like that, or American Legion, stuff like that, you know, Veterans of Foreign War. They'll send you stamps that aren't the stamp, but you can put on your envelope and it says, hey, I, I support this thing. She'd have those kind of stamps. And like, my mom would be like, hey, Barbie dropped off something for you. Now, remember, I had to disconnect my phone, change my number because of my sister, because of the message she would leave me when she was out of her mind. And I would like, I was like, wow. But, you know, I kept them all. I did. I kept them all. I have them all. And, of course, now she's in a sane mind. She's coming up tomorrow, and we're going to spend some time together tomorrow. But, like, that was like her gift. It, it might have been broken. It might have had deformed. It might have been hunchback. It might have been a limb too long. But that was her gift to her brother. And I thought, you know, if my sister living on the streets out of her mind is thinking of me to give me a gift, then it takes on value. And, and I think there's something there when the Lord says, you can bring these under, these under this classification. See, it's not the peace offering, but under this classification, you can bring that. Which I just suppose reminds us that anything unto the Lord 
with the hearts of the heart of faith is a value, whether it's the widow's mite or a lame offering, because that's all you have. It's like the two turtle doves. It's all you got. But when things, when we bring things in faith, it does have value to the Lord. We always say it's not our ability, but our availability. And sometimes it's like, it's the littlest things that take on the greatest value. And aren't the greatest things priceless anyways? Like, what value can you put on four hours with your grandkids at the beach? Like, how's that even compare? Like, people living in $20 million homes at Dana Strands, alone and empty, upset with a plumber or something? Like, what is that? When I go down to Bolsa Chica with my grandkids for four hours, that's priceless. The value of that time, like, you can't buy that. There's just, you just either have it or you don't. That's either your blessing with you and the Lord or you don't. Or the people you love. The experience of love in the body of Christ. You either have that or you don't. Don't underestimate the value of things that seem lame before the Lord when they're seasoned with faith and sincerity. That's what I see in that passage right there. And then finally, the last part of chapter 22 is verses 26 through 33, where it said, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when, when, you, when a bull or a goat, you know, you don't, you don't sacrifice the mom and the offspring on the same day. Do not kill her and the young on the same day. Now, these are just interesting details. And don't you have to admit that's a pretty interesting detail? Like somehow for me, that just seems empathetic or uh, compassionate. I'm not really sure what it means in application, but it's just like you won't boil a goat in its mother's milk, like that came upon earlier, early for us in the book of Exodus. I just think there's an, uh, an empathy element there. It just, we just always wanted that tender heart. Like I just, there's so much cruelty right now in our world. And if God says, you know what, even when these animals are set apart for sacrifice or even for your, your dinner, you can't do this. There's just something about the first seven days between a mother animal and his offspring that you have to let that do what I've designed it to do for seven days. And then if something happens after that, that's okay. But these seven days are sanctified even for a mother cow and her calf. Isn't that beautiful? Think about that for a minute. Those seven days are sanctified in the animal kingdom between the mother and the offspring. In the animal kingdom, animals doing what they're naturally designed to do with their instincts. And God honors it and says, and even when you have that separation, you can't expedite this process and you cannot do this on the same day. There's something holy. I'm going to suggest to you, there's something holy about the mom and the calf in the seven days and you cannot kill them both on the same day. God is into life. And by the way, when the kingdom's established, our real home, the new heaven, the new earth, there is only life. There is no death. And the lion lays down with the lamb, right? And the child plays with the cobra. And whether that's the millennial kingdom on earth or somehow the millennial kingdom in a new heaven and new earth, I don't completely understand my eschatology on that. I just know everybody lives, nobody dies, and no one sheds a tear. That much I do know. And we, when I read these two chapters, I see holiness, 
I see the consecration of Jesus Christ. I see the holy life of Jesus Christ, fulfilling the law. I see responsibility for who you are and the family you're in and what's entrusted to you in your gender, your household, and what you've received in God's economy when he's determined who you are, who your parents are, where you live, your ethnicity, your nationality, and all those things. I see God in all of it. And I see to whom much is given, much is required, the daughter of a priest. And I see the holiness of the Lord. I see the compassion of the Lord and how he forgives the prostitute in Luke chapter 7 and how he treated humanity as he walked the earth. I see the empathy and the compassion of the Lord, even if you're a farmer, that he values the mother cow and the calf for seven days because God set it up that way. And before Adam and Eve sinned, it was perfect in the animal kingdom. There's nothing of devouring another animal, devouring one devouring another. I hate flies, but I still won't let the spiders in my house take the flies down. I just, I don't want that to be their end. It seems silly, but I just, go away, fly. You got one chance, or I'm going to do it this way so you don't face it that way. My swatter's immediate. That spider, man, I, just, I don't even like that. I, I watch Lord of the Rings. I don't like the big spider coming after me or you, right? There's just something about having a heart of disposition for empathy and compassion. And we can't lose that because a lot of people are losing it right now. The hostility, the cruelty, the anger, the malice, the screaming, the wrath. Body of Christ, we cannot go there. We have to keep our composure, our empathy, and our dignity, and our integrity. Watching Rand Paul and the other black assemblymen from Georgia be attacked by the mob leaving the White House on Thursday night. I actually commented on his Instagram today, and I said, thank you, because I've been a pastor for 33 years, and how you and your wife carried yourself as African Americans, as Democrats, being assailed and attacked and slandered so vilely, so viciously with your life threatened, how you carried yourself for that 10 minutes was one of the best witnesses I've ever seen of how a man of integrity, how a human being of integrity carries himself to the honor of the human race, let alone for the kingdom of God. And if you haven't seen the video of how he carried himself, it is worth a watch. People screaming at him, African-Americans screaming at him, and he just kept his composure as the mob is surrounded by all these police protecting him and his wife. From such a wonderful moment to be there at the White House that night. We must keep our composure. We must keep loving. We must keep forgiving. And we must have the empathy that understands you don't separate the calf from the mother for the first seven days. The natural affections, the natural things that are beautiful and virtuous, and praiseworthy, and noble before the Lord. The things that are holy, the things that are honorable, because even in these two chapters, with a higher accountability for the priest, the Lord still says, I am the Lord. I sanctify you. I am holy. You are holy. And we often think of holiness as being action of good deeds, like Mother Teresa in Calcutta. But more often than that, holiness is what we don't do in response to evil.
it's good to keep that in mind in such a difficult day, in such a difficult time. May we just be filled with natural empathy and compassion that God's given us. May we not harden our hearts in the evil day when we see such evil, perversion, and injustice. But may we keep our composure and know that we shall keep his commandments and perform them because he is the Lord. We will not profane his holy name, but we will hallow him among our children, the children of the church of Jesus Christ. Because it is the Lord who sanctifies us by the Holy Spirit through our faith in Jesus Christ. It is the Lord who delivered us from our sins of our past, who is our God, will forever be our God. He is the Lord.